welcome to Stop Booking Around. I'm John Cronshaw. And I'm Russell Evans. Last week, Russ, you mentioned the fact that you want to talk about world building and law and all those things that have nothing really to do with your story. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to get a bit dry, I think, if we don't talk about some abstract things beyond my old boring bullshit. So, yeah, law. It's like three main things about it, really, is sort of how it's handled, how it's absorbed by consumers and the temptations of it to like, because it can be such a fun thing to write. Yeah. I want to talk about a very specific example of law and world building. And while it's not necessarily to do with books, it is really done largely through writing. And it's in the game series of Dark Souls. Now, I don't know, have you, have you played Dark Souls much? Do you know much about how the law is handled? No, I don't, no. So you're dropped into a world... And all you know is that you are undead, which means you can't die. It's, you don't turn into, you're not like a zombie mindless thing, but when you die, you dissipate and then you sort of reappear at what is known as like a bonfire. And it is literally a bonfire, but um, they're like your save points, your checkpoints, so forth and so on. And this world is huge and ancient and multifaceted and full of weird, strange things, terrible things that you have absolutely no fucking clue about you're just like right okay i'm just just dealing with this now okay the way dark souls handles its law is largely through description on its items so whenever you pick something up there's always a a description and it's not necessarily about that item sometimes it's about what that item is associated with be it a group a person an event and through these tiny little snippets people have managed to construct the actual law like what is actually going on and this law is huge and there's so much of it and because it's delivered this way it's made people want to go after it it's made people want to understand what's happened and, and it's an interesting and compelling story about pride and the inability to allow the natural cycle to continue and what it's done to the world and it's just so well done because it doesn't ruin anything for itself because it doesn't go into too much detail it leaves just enough so that people can agree on certain things but so they can also have their own thoughts about what else may happen or may have happened and that for me, although, you know, I say it's done through the medium of a video game, so it's a different interaction. It is a different um, interaction, but it is also something that you should be doing with the world building. This is exactly what writing is. You know, mm. you do not write everything. You do not give all the details. A lot of the stuff is you filling in the gaps with your imagination and abstracting from what you read and the implications and things like that. So that does sound fascinating, to be honest, the idea of building up a world through these little fragments but, I mean, that's what you do anyway in writing. Mm. This is the fascinating thing is like, okay, world building is bigger than story because it allows you to tell stories in a lot of different ways and through a lot of different mediums, especially with games, you know, video games, board games, that kind of thing. You can use a world to kind of dictate the rules. And yeah. that's, that's essentially what it's there for. It is, okay, these are the rules. This is how things work. And all the other stuff on top is basically a, a nice, pretty paint job um, that's, you know, maybe interesting. Like, um, 
what was that game we used to play when I was a kid and you paint the little figures, the little Warhammer? That was it. Yes. <laughs> so Warhammer 40,000, there we go. That was basically a desktop battle game and you could just have it as that. But mm. then there were short stories. There was a whole mythology about the, what was it, the Horus Heresy and um, stuff about, I think they were called the Dark Angels that were these groups of space marines that had turned to the dark side, but not quite. And... It's it's a huge, massive, convoluted thing. I mean, like, there are full yeah. books about it now, but, like, back then when, like, when it started, yeah, it was, it was just, like, here's a board game, here's a kind of story of this board game, go for it and then you'd get your codexes that showed you what the different the little stories for each unit and their stats and things like that so yeah very much so it was a, a world that was built piecemeal bit by bit by bit like that is a fascinating way of doing it if you're thinking about it in terms of story as mm. okay this is a history but you're almost seeing it through okay you've seen bits of it through this perspective so i mean i used to collect i think it was the space wolves so you know i was really into their history and their lore and then i started collecting i think it was space orcs yeah (laughs) about them and how they're different and yeah it's just a, a really kind of interesting way of doing it when you can kind of use the world to do these things like games and have something else for it then okay that's great but i think when you're getting into the realms of you're writing a story primarily. Mm. I think once you start kind of straying away from that, it's almost a distraction. And I know you do need, obviously, especially with fantasy, science fiction, that kind of thing, you need a fantasy world and you need it to make sense. Yeah. But you can also do a lot of that on the fly, which is what I do. And the way I keep my world consistent in my Ravenglass Chronicles, which is going to be a 22 novella series by the time I'm finished, is every time I put a description of a person an object, an item. When I'm going through my third draft, I will cut and paste it into a hyper document and I will have it done with headings and I can link to them and things like that. So I have the descriptions and all the world being built as I'm writing it and then I can refer back to it, share it with my editor, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's really useful and that's a kind of world building as I need it. But I think there's a lot of it that I've already kind of thought about in my mind I mean, when I started doing it, I mean, I've been, this is the thing, I've been thinking about this story for so long, but I knew I wasn't ready. Mm. <laughs> and I did have a full start because I didn't plan, didn't outline or anything like that. But I started off by drawing a map because isn't that what you do with fantasy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I drew a map and then I made up some names. And when I first started writing it, the names were literally important port town big city (laughs) little things like that so i wasn't kind of getting bogged down in the language of it yeah you sort of identified their function first yeah and then i'd messed up a bit of the drawing because i was trying to draw this like peninsula at the end of the thing and it ended up looking a bit skew with and i thought actually that could be a tidal causeway instead of a thing so then i had this idea for a an island that was what's the word kind of blocked off most of the time because of the tide but I was thinking of that in terms of like, okay, I could get some really cool storytelling elements from this because Tidal Causeway, it's blocked off at certain times of the day. You know, there's the kind of trapped element. There's not been able to get to it if you need to. So instead of thinking about it in terms of how is this going to look pretty or what cool history can I do? It was always, always in service of how can this influence a story? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's... That's spot on. Yeah, it's, everything has to I suppose have a function. Well, not everything, but you know, if something can have a function, 
then it's not just vestigial. It's not just there for, for window dressing. And it, it makes it important. And it, I think it makes it stand out more to like a reader. Um, and again, it's good for foreshadowing as well. If you can describe a thing and its characteristics, and at that time, those characteristics don't stand out as anything important, but later on they come into play. I think that's like a really useful technique to use. There's some stories where the world is a character in itself, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we keep going back to it, but like Perdido Street Station by China Melville or um, Gene Wolfe's Book of the New Sun, mm. which is tremendous and I would recommend it to everyone. One of the great things about the Book of the New Sun is you read it the first time and I think it's probably about, I don't know, halfway through the second book where you realise, okay, this isn't a medieval fantasy <laughs> mm. you, you realize that this is actually a far future thing and these things that were being described as citadels are actually old spaceships and these people he describes a bit like knights are actually robots and it's like this whole world kind of appears to you because of the way it's described and it's described in this really kind of convoluted way yeah and when the world does reveal itself to you it is like a massive eye-opener so yeah. that's something you can really only do in books as well which is the sort of one of the beauties of the medium isn't it um is that sort of what you hide from the reader i mean i think it was a few weeks ago we talked about video games like fallout 3 where the world is the vault yes for that person and then something happens and boom okay you are in a tiny little bit of the world and the world is massive and there's loads of different things that you've never seen before so yeah there's different ways yeah, there's different reveals, I suppose. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah. Your first point wasn't it? You said something about how is it handled? Yeah, how and that, handled world building. Yeah, and I think like, different ways of doing it, which really sort of I'm going to go looking for really to try and get like a, a, a breadth of, of experience and ideas. Yeah, it's this thing of how far do you go? Because you can just do that and never write, which is why I, I do endorse this idea of world building on the fly and doing almost the minimum you need to get going with the story. You know, you can start adding cool stuff. So I started writing this novella series, and all I've known is, okay, I've got this country called Bight, which is where I've got the you know the t- island with the tidal causeway and things like that. That's not even the country that my story is set, but <laughs> will be because she'll go across the sea to that country. So far, it's set in a city. I've just come up with a name for it. Even though I've been writing, you know, on 30,000 words in, I've got a name for it now. All I knew is I've got a palace. Mm. And in that palace, I wanted a stables because she's got a horse and that's going to play into the story. And there's kennels because that plays into the story. And there's a forge and there's a chapel. And they're the only things that I kind of thought about. That was the extent of my details when I drew my little map. Mm. And then I'm doing little descriptions of things as i'm going around and then i've got this garden and in the garden you've got statues of dragons and griffins and all these kind of mythical creatures that have been destroyed by old emperors and things like that and then i figured oh well okay she's having this kind of ritual thing so okay you'll have maybe a private small ritual in a chapel but then you need a kind of equivalent of a cathedral and I wanted it to be set in a port town and, you know, she's going to be leaving on a boat at some point. So I wanted to get in the port. So I had the thing of the parade through the city. And so I had to kind of just, you know, identify little things as she was being led through the city. Mm. And I was literally making it up as I was going along (laughs) and then dropping it on a map. 
So I was going, you know, she, she passed, uh, what was it, like the Scribes Guild and big building of the livery company and the tax house was, you know, made out of this material and like, you know, all these little things and little details like the Scribes Guild hanging out banners with calligraphy kind of shown off on them and little things like that. And then going through the harbour and then thinking like what things would be in the harbour. Okay, you'd have ships and what kind of ships? Well, the you know, big galleons and they'd be out further yeah. and there'd be smaller boats in and people unloading stuff. And then because she's going to this kind of cathedral thing, I figured, well, have it as a hill because it's coastal on a on the headland. So you've got this temple on a hill that's overlooking the sea. And because I'm kind of brainstorming each story on a tarot card, I've used the symbolism of the tarot throughout and things like that. So it's literally, as I'm going, I'm coming up with the stuff and then kind of pouring it down as like, this is the law, this is the world. <laughs> and it's it's kind of bears on kind of what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in terms of what details you use sort of. So as you know, like you say, you're making that up on the fly. You're not describing every single thing that she passes in that parade. It's the little details that stand out to her about these things, I would imagine, yeah. from what from what you're saying. Yeah, so, um, you know, I've got, like, a little detail, like a, um, you know, there's a, a kid throwing out some pie towards a princess from a rooftop, and it landed in the crowd, and it's like, you know, I didn't go, there was a big crowd. It's like, yes. that, all that little detail just giving a big impression about what this scene's like, and saying, you know, gods line the streets with their shields to kind of stop the crowds from surging on the princess and stuff like that, so... I'm giving an impression of this kind of tyrannical empire just through all these little details, really. And, mm. um, you know, I'm working through an outline, but all the time I'm imagining this world and walking through it at the same time my character is and just kind of picking out things in my head. So The other thing I wanted to talk about, which I think is something that's quite relevant now, again, in other media largely, but I feel it relates because of the idea of creating lore and world building, is that... When a fan base grows so large, it's like they, they get fed. So I'm going to go with Star Wars as an example. The Star Wars fan base is decades old now. And so over time, they've been drip fed, you know, bits and bobs. Here's some books. Here's some games. Here's like a TV series. Here's a cartoon. And it's created this strange conflict amongst the fan base in sort of what is the right law what is canon what isn't yeah Yeah. yeah. and especially with disney taking over and them going well okay the timothy's on books don't really count anymore and yeah books don't count and okay is film is canon the video games ignore them (laughs) then it creates this like the, the the fandom you know it's the same with a lot of fandoms you know to different degrees after the fandom feels a sense of ownership because the fandom is like, well, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be creating these things. So we have maintained it ourselves and we have some sense of ownership about it. Now, this is a very general thing, but this is for me sort of citing the worst examples I've seen of the attitudes in regard to this. And so you get to the point now where you get the latest film where people are up in arms because certain plot threads that were left open at the end of The Force Awakens were just disregarded in The Last Jedi. Personally, I don't have a problem with it. I think things need to change and be dynamic. I think it's good to shake up things, stops them being stale, stops being the same thing, allows them to appeal to a broader audience. I think those are all good, positive things. But the problem is, is that if you've got a fan base that feels like they get to decide how things should be, 
because they've absorbed so much law and they've they've chosen what they believe to be canon it causes real problems and it stifles creativity obviously don't go mental don't disregard every piece of thing that's ever been written before have your callbacks have your references you know create that sense of history and continuity but you should be able to just go no this has changed now this is different what you thought was one thing is not because it's all subjective and it's all pliable and none of it's real, which is the most important <laughs> thing to remember. It's all a load of bollocks. We all enjoy absorbing and, and making real in our hearts and in our heads. I mean, I agree with that to some extent, but I also think that there is a case to be made for being consistent and respectful to your audience. Yes. Um, and it would be like if George R. R. Martin in the next Song of Ice and Fire book decided that, okay, Daenerys actually has superpowers <laughs> um, you know yeah he doesn't, he doesn't need the dragons to fly and maybe Jon snow gets a car it's mm. like you, <laughs> just, uh, yeah and then there's and then the, you know the people from star wars arrive and like i mean i i would actually love to see a, a good fantasy series where you had invaders of some variety where it was like a um alien invasion almost kind of story i'd love to read that you mm. know, that'd be quite interesting to do in this medieval setting or whatever but you've basically told people okay this is what things are like this is why things work the way they do and this was why i think there was a lot of kickback at the you know the, the prequel oh yeah that was because of the midichlorians <laughs> which are not mentioned at all in these new ones also this recently came out that um george lucas gave an interview and he said well you know i understand that this is what people want but those these aren't the films that I would have made. And apparently he was going to continue to make episode seven, eight and nine more about midichlorians and about there's a secret, <laughs> secret like uh. microverse inhabited by these creatures called the will that are right. sort of control using the force for their own. Me- it's just like, Oh my God. And people like, what I hope is that people hear that and go, all right, then we didn't do too bad because we could have had that instead. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one because it is such a big world and so many people have written in it. And, yeah. you know, Chewbacca, I, I seem to remember him once getting killed by a moon in one of the Star Wars books I read years ago. Yes. You know? Yeah, in um, <laughs> the act, the original children of Han Solo and, and Leia. Yeah, yeah, and like they have twins, don't they? And, you yeah, know, yeah, there's it's... all the different storylines that exist that aren't canon anymore. Um, you just call them alternate universes. There yeah. you go. That's the way to fix everything. Just alternate universes. And that's fine, you know. I don't, I don't mind that, but it's, it's also you've got to kind of be clear. I think, yeah. I think, you know, I don't mind a reboot. I like the fact that there's loads of different Batman origin stories and things like that. You know, it, it's interesting. I like it, yeah. and I think you can do that with certain things. But yeah, it is just kind of having respect for the fact that people have invested this time and a respect for the world. Yeah. And you don't want to end up with something like Lost. Like when that first started, I was so intrigued by the mm, world. So was I. And by the characters and by what was going on. And by the end of it, I was just, it wasn't I was confused. I had a lot of theories about it and it, a lot of them came to be. But it just seemed to meander and there was a lot of inconsistencies. And Lost was a great example of lots of great ideas, no closure. Yeah. Um, I think that writing it, they must have had a wonderful time thinking of all sorts of bizarre things to happen on this island and where it could all go. But ultimately, I, they just couldn't tie it all together in a, in a way that 
satisfying or made sense or didn't at least in some way take the sort of wind out of you based on what the characters have been through and what you'd been through as a watcher which leads me up to the the third part of what i wanted to talk about which is the temptation of law honestly most of my writing experience comes from things like dungeons and dragons and when you're writing a story for dungeons and dragons you're you're not just writing a story, you are definitely writing a world because your characters have got a mind of their own because they are your players. So you have to create a world that is fleshed out enough for them to be able to convincingly interact with in improvised ways. So I've written whole lore books about worlds and maps and down to like the tiniest things in terms of like how some economies work and things like that. And I found a great deal of satisfaction in that because yeah. it was really fun to 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 build a world like from the minutia up something that could compensate for even the most like aggressively adventurous or improvisational player and you were building it for a purpose <laughs> yes yeah you know i mean you were yeah. building it for for a particular reason and that was to fit the game mm and that's the same with world building for a story. You need to build it to fit the story. I know. I felt that way coming into it because my first drafts, my first ideas, it was the same things I did before. I wrote down character descriptions as if they were Dungeons and Dragons characters, which I think is a good idea. But it's how far do I take it? So I've had to, you know, I looked through all my old notes and I made all the notebooks are filled up about this world I was building for this story. And a lot of it, I'm just going to have to disregard because it's not actually that important. It's not the most pertinent thing. A lot of it is, by definition, sort of mundane or banal because it is but, just like the cogs. Still, still, when you are doing your descriptions, you can throw those little things in because they'll be there yeah. in your mind. You'll, you'll remember them. And It's more getting out of the habit, you see, is the thing. That's what I mean by like the temptation of law because it's my temptation to enjoy yeah. being like essentially too verbose about yeah. certain things going too into the minutia doing things that i don't feel i'm capable of doing while still writing an engaging story things that like frank herbert does things that um george rr R. martin does things that tolkien did their worlds are huge and super detailed and george rr R. martin has said in interviews that he will builds on the fly yeah <laughs> and he has he has someone else kind of keeping him in check with <laughs> the, the and stuff you know he, he builds it as he's writing Mm. because he says he won't he wouldn't be able to write it otherwise so yeah. Yeah. so um, what i'm saying is um, uh, that is a present thought in my mind of again this thing of show don't tell so if there's an interesting machine that does a thing i don't have to necessarily sit there and have somebody who built that machine explain how it works a lot well, of, unless you know bob <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's like uh, I don't want to necessarily do the Star Trek thing where somebody says something complicated and then somebody breaks it down with a simple analogy. Um, I want some things to be mysterious and interesting and just, you know, sometimes when you break stuff down, you need to for your, like, for your reader. But sometimes it's better to just leave it as a contraption that looks bizarre and does a certain thing. Yeah, and you can see the results and the reader will know what that does. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And hopefully it'll be towards a plot point or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is why you know i didn't tell you about writing i haven't told you know i've not really discussed writing on a sentence level yet with you and we'll do that at a later date but we've discussed story first story first story first and that is what resonates world building fine but story first 
and <laughs> just yeah. that that's it just write your story finish it and then we can add in the details if you want yeah that's the plan awesome so remember you can get the stop booking around book it's by me so look for stop booking around how to overcome author procrastination by jl cronshaw if you want to leave a review on iTunes for the podcast, that would be really helpful. Share it with a friend, that kind of thing. If you want to ask me a question, it's at JL Cronshaw, or you can go into the Facebook group and join us there. And finally, if you want to email the show, it's john at johncronshaw.com. That's J-O-N-C-R-O-N-S-H-A-W. So until next time, cheerio. Bye. Bye.